Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast, hosted by Matt Hallisey and Al Horn. This is the only entrepreneurial podcast that helps you take the most important step to finally achieving financial and personal freedom. What is that step? Well, it's the very next step you need to take. It doesn't matter whether you've started a business but aren't profitable, or you've only just now thought about starting a business for the first time. You can design your new life in just a short period of time. We both started multiple profitable businesses, and we're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of. The crazy thing is you don't need to be especially talented, experienced, smart, or even lucky to make this happen. You just have to take the first step that's in front of you. So grab a drink and join us while we discuss our own journeys from working for other people as employees to living our dream lifestyle as business owners. We share our successes, our failures, and the simple formula we've discovered to go from starting from nothing to having our own profitable business in just a short period of time. We're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of, but we're always scared to go after. Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast. Or a couple bottles. I mean, if you're out there. If you're out there. You you do not want to run out of whiskey. That's the key thing. That is the key thing. Yes, that's what fishing is all about. It's funny. When the pandemic hit, we... uh, we were like, all right, we're gonna. We don't know how long the supply chain issue is gonna be there, so we went to the store and bought a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, we have an entire tub full of whiskey and liquor. like, not that we're gonna use it, but it's just like you just don't know medicinal purposes. If it's uh, well, yeah. but if there's a run on it for a while, you know, you've invested in whiskey, is what you're telling. Well, me. kind of. And then I guess. <laughs> It, right if a neighbor wanted one i'm sure it'd probably go for what i don't know 100 bucks a bottle <laughs> cash or we'll just we'll just sell it in silver coins yeah yeah my uh, my friend in idaho uh just texted me this morning he goes uh something about property prices are up in california and he goes you're rich and i go dude i'm not rich until i sell you know that's exactly right and then I told him, I said, uh, I, I see, uh, I see Bitcoin is, con- he said, oh, Bitcoin's gone up a little bit. I said, yeah, so you're rich. <laughs> you know, I said, my friend, uh, podcast partner uh, has said it might double or triple, but uh, he's not sure about the timing. I don't know about a year because he wants to cash out in a year, you know. And he said, uh, what you need to do, Greg, is you need to keep your eye on it every second of the day and watch it constantly 24-7 because if you don't, you know, that's the only way it's going to go up. What? <laughs> I'm just joking with him. You know, he says, oh, oh I you're, saying, you're saying I'm that. saying that. Oh, he, okay. He I'm goes, like, no, what? He, sa- he believes that he lives in some kind of a simulation. Okay, uh, he he's where he gets really way out there. Uh, well, technically, that's possible. I've heard <laughs> well, some very reputable people talk about that, and it's possible. I, could, I can't now. Am I? Not. I'm not going to put my. I'm not going to put money on it. Like I'm not going to live my life assuming we're in a simulation. That's yeah. Well, why like, not? I've heard. I mean, I've if heard it evidence, works, I, if I've it heard, works for you, my friend, we should. I 
I've heard evidence for a lot of things in my life, but it doesn't necessarily mean I believe it. Like it could be mm-hmm. true and it could not be true. I could mm-hmm. believe the opposite or I'm just not sold yet. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the proof is, and by the way, if we're, if we're in a simulation, there's no way to tell, like, how would you tell? Unless, unless Neo pulls you out, gets all the little <laughs> cords, like unplugged out of your body, shoots you through a tube and picks you up under a bridge. Like that's really not going to be. Right. I just unless unless you're on the Nebuchadnezzar, I really don't know that you're ever in the and he didn't even know. I mean, he got taken out of the matrix and he wasn't even convinced. You know you're in a simulation when you have uh, the, uh you have the uh the sequel and then the third sequel to the sequel. And then you look at your bank account and there's a billion dollars in there. You know you're in a simulation. Or you just haven't woken up yet. Right. Well, that's a Zen thing, my friend. You know, I've studied Buddhism and Zen almost all my life. And it's basically, yeah, you, you're you not exactly in a simulation, but you're dreaming. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of like them in that submarine thing that they were in where your senses are bringing you information. And to some degree that your brain is uh, evolved to the point where it wants to keep you alive and out of pain and possibly moving towards pleasure in some way, shape or form, but you're inside this, you know, submarine, which is your brain. And you've got the periscope and the sonar and stuff, but you you don't really, you don't really know what's out there. You know, there's something out there. You don't really know what it is. You just know you're conceptual. You got your charts and your dials, you know, and you've got your, your information. Okay. You know, Let's let's stay away from volcanoes and things, and you're traveling and till you die, and that's it. Then you come back again in a different submarine. You know, that's it. I just figure if if I die <laughs> and then they find out it's a whole simulation, I'm like, I kind of thought it was, <laughs> but like whoever think, but you, you got to think whoever if they created the whole <laughs> world as a simulation, that designer is so amazing that they're not going to leave any way possible for you to fully understand it's a simulation. Like you could guess it's a simulation. Like he's probably looking and going like, Oh, they're, they're on to me a little bit. Like maybe it's a simulation, but like, there's no way to tell. Cause you're going to, it's such, it's the detail orientedness. If there's such a thing is so pervasive that you wouldn't be able to tell. It's not like you're going to like open up this trunk. Like you'll drive out to like Hemet. And you'll find this trunk and it's like, it shows you that it's a simulation. Like the only way that you'd really know it's a simulation, well, maybe, but maybe even not, is if you could time travel. Mm-hmm. And, that's not, and that's not really a simulation, I guess. But that's a whole different topic. If we're going to go on something obscure, people say, <laughs> does, time, say does, time, does time travel exist? And you'd say, well, I don't know. Well, it obviously does, but it's just very slow and in one direction for us. Well, no, but I'm saying like rapid time travel. Like, could you go to the year 2400 or could you go back to the year 1000 and just whack somebody? Like, let's say that you didn't want um, Hitler to exist. Could you go back to 1932 and or like 1926 and, and, you know, get arrested, go to prison and just shiv Hitler in the jail, right? Like, well, could you do I, that? And I wouldn't the recommend thing is, that. I, I would recommend that you go back, be his friend, and tell him you really are a great artist. 
And that's what you should pursue. You should do the art thing. That's the more art subtle. Thing is for you. you know? That's the more. That's the more subtle design. I appreciate yes, that. But yes. you got to think if it did exist, um, the government. That would be the one thing the government would absolutely take from you. They'd probably they'd knock you off, take it from you. They'd classify it, compartmentalize it, and then the problem is if they used it, you wouldn't know if time travel existed because how do you know if like, let's just say, and I'm just saying this apolitically, but let's just say for all the people, for the people that really like Trump, if they decided to mess, <laughs> if they decided to, they're, they're going to like, they did whatever they did to make yeah. Hillary run for office or whatever. Yeah. Or try, yeah. And we're going to do something just to mess with things. Like we're going to get the game show host. We're going to get the celebrity game show host. Um, to be president or you know we're just going to whack all like let's say they went back and they're just like look we don't like irish catholic people so we're going to go back and whack kennedy so it could be any number of things but you'd never know it's not like you're going to go to walmart and get a time machine like it, it would be it would be it would make nuclear weapons look like completely unclassified technology if they had a time machine like yeah. Well, like you friend, could travel in the future and then yes. find out, let's say for example, that you, you know, you're a Republican and you travel in the future and you found out, Hey, Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden got elected. Well, you'd probably want to go back in time and make sure that you get somebody with really nasty coronavirus to cough all over the dude, you know, or whatever okay. it is, but you just okay. don't know. Okay. But that's what I'm saying is you just don't know because you're that path of reality you think is the natural path, but you don't know that somebody's messed with it. Right. Well, you've got to, you know, if you're going to talk time machine, yes, you have to also talk about multiple universes where everything exists all at the same time and yeah, you polyverse. have a different life, multiple different lives where you've gone down multiple different paths. You know, you, you never sorry, took sorry, that $10,000 course. You, you went down a different path. You're still working at the bank. You never met your wife all these different paths and multi-universes all existing at the same time and they're all you. Well, see, those are, there's a difference between. Yeah, hold on. I bumped, I bumped this thing over here. <laughs> sure you did. There we go. You start talking um, about the government and time machines and poly, then we get cut off. There's a, t there's, yeah, no, I was going to say there's a little bit of a difference between like a choose your own adventure universe where it's like, there's all different permutations of everything happening all the time. And one where there's one, or it's kind of the back to the future model where it's like there's one and you can adjust it and it takes you in different you know, people make different decisions. So like, that's part of it. Like if I ever said, like if I went back in time, if I could do anything over again, I probably wouldn't do anything over again because there's no guarantee that you'd anything that good <laughs> happened to you would recur. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah. There's no predicting the future. Even if you go back in time, Right? There's no predicting the future. In fact, you might just really screw it up big time. Yeah, you might kill your family and they're not in your picture anymore. <laughs> that would be sad. Yes. That would be sad. Well, it depends um, on the it depends on the sibling. Yeah, if I <laughs> if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have uh I would have known that that big cement brick that was sitting on the garden wall uh, would have fallen off and hit me in the foot I, and I would have moved my foot in time and that wouldn't have happened because that was extremely painful. But uh, other than that, I'm a good, I'm good with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Take what we can get. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it would be kind of like if you're playing blackjack and you have a 10 and then you draw a six, 
and the dealer says, all right, we're going to change the rules here. Do you really want that? I can, I can give you a different card. You well, get one chance you for a could, you could get a, you could get a three or you could get an ace. You don't know, but it's like, it's the, it's, that's the, let's make a deal version of time travel. <laughs> What's behind the curtain, a door yeah. number two. Yeah. Well, I'm going to show you, Oh, you want door number two? Well, let, let me show you what's yeah. behind door number one, a goat. Yep. Right. <laughs> a goat. You get the goat, um, which isn't so bad. You know, no, if it's Kazakhstan's version of, of let's make a deal, then, Absolutely. you know, you know what I'm going to choose the, the goat door. Because that could that's mean what the difference wants. between getting a wife and not getting a wife, having that goat. Well, in some countries, it's the same thing. That is true. Well, we don't really want to go there, do we? <laughs> no, uh, <Matt>? no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've seen pictures and it's not pretty. No, no, but, no. um, yeah, All right, so, so absolutely. Yes, all this is good. Um, and what does it mean to the entrepreneur, right? Yeah, so I know one of the things we had talked about, um, talking about today was, you know, kind of my thought of why this is the best time probably ever to start a business. Doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean the easiest way, but or the easiest time to start a business, but definitely I think it's the best time to start a business. Right. And you mentioned that word time. So mm-hmm. everything we talked about as far as the time machine leads up to that perfect segue. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost is like it... you had a time machine. You said, we're going to go in the middle of COVID and start a business. Like... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and really what it boils down to getting back to the Zen thing is now it, this, all you have is this moment, right? Right. So you may, you want to make a decision, you make a decision in this moment and the decision that you want to make is to follow your passion, hopefully, uh, to 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 make a difference and create your future as opposed to being manipulated by whatever happens. And the best way to do that is to be an entrepreneur, have an entrepreneurial mindset, and get some kind of a gig business going where you have some control of the boat. All right, your hand is on the rudder, and nobody can tell you that the stream doesn't have problems, you know, there's boulders, there's storms, but you have your hand on the rudder and to some degree, you're going to be in a little bit more control of your life than if you were working for XYZ Corporation where they squeeze you like an orange and throw you away when they don't need you. Yeah, and I and I think two <laughs> things that jump out of me when I think about that. Number one is... You know, you got to keep in mind that names matter. Uh, so when they name the department that handles people, they call it human resources. I mean, it used to be called personnel. Yes. But now it's called human resources, which means they're really like they're describing people in the lowest common denominator possible. But really, it has kind of a commodity feel to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like you could have building resources. You could have you know, technology resources and you can energy human resources. resources. Yeah, whatever it is. And it's like, all right, well, these are things that are on there. And then, you know, I just know this from being in business school. It's like when a, if, a, if your business is suffering, you're, you're told to get rid of, you know, you want to trim your variable costs as much as possible and the largest variable costs are wages. So it's like when things go bad, you're the first person that's put in front of the firing squad. Right. They just uh, they just let a thousand people go at that uh, at that big uh, uh, trading firm. I don't remember which one it was, but they let a thousand people go. They, you know, they're sitting around and the, the, the sitting around in the C-suite 
going like, uh, where can we cut costs? And obviously they're saying, well, here's about a thousand people that are sitting around uh, doing stuff that we needed to have done uh, five years ago, but we don't need to have it done now. So let's get rid of them. Yeah. And it's interesting. My, my old company <laughs> moved to Arizona because California just got just, I mean, just ridiculously crazy when it came to this company. Um, and they, I saw a press release and they're like, oh, okay, we just, you know, we let go of, I think it was like 287 people, maybe it was 487. But I've worked in that company long enough to know, I know it wasn't just like that. Basically what happened is they announced it ahead of time and they said, we're going to be, you know, trimming some people and really they're going to be relocating them to Arizona. So you have a choice. Mm -hmm. You can either move to Phoenix or we're going to let you go. And then it just depends how many people they had who took them up on the offer. So if they were moving 400 people over and 100 people took them up on the offer, those people probably went to Arizona mm -hmm. and the other 300 people got left behind. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is like, if they don't like you, if they think they can get somebody better for with the money they could pay for the position, they will. I mean, if they know that like, let's say you're making $120,000 a year, but they know in this economy, they can get your, they can have somebody equally qualified as you are and do it for 80, you know, they'll, they'll do that in a heartbeat. And I think part of what you talked about, you said their hand on the rudder. I think that's a great description is that in a normal circumstance, what we've all been used to is like, you know, we go with a company, we trust that the company does well. We, we all kind of grab an oar and, you know, help the, you know, help the boat go in the right direction. Hmm. But when you get something as asymmetrical as a pandemic that hits, you know, it's like, it's the problem isn't necessarily that the boat isn't going the right direction because the people rowing the boat are, are terrible. The problem is that <laughs> a lightning bolt came down and put a hole right through, you know, just put a right, you know, it could be anything. It could be a hailstorm. It could be something, but something outside of the system put a hole in that boat. And now the boat doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. you're out, you know, basically, you know, hoping that a piece of that boat floats and that you know you can stick around long enough for somebody to pick it up. Where is if you're an entrepreneur, it's like, all right, well, I can make as many boats as I need to. Um, and you have more control over it. And, and when I started being an entrepreneur, that was one of the big factors for me was just the ability to, and you, you know, the word that I always use, and this is way before I wanted to become an entrepreneur was designing your life. And I had this vision of like a whiteboard of like you take everything that's in your life right now in a sense of you know just take the eraser to it <clears throat> and then i had this like vision i'm like all right well if i'm 80 or 90 years old and i'm sitting on a you know i have this vision of like me sitting on a rocking chair on a porch somewhere right and it's like if you could go back and say if i could do living at that 80 or 90 year old person if i could go back to this year that we're living in and do anything different, knowing what I know, how it turned out. So we talked a little bit before about the time machine, right? Mm -hmm. I, and I had no intention of bringing this up, by the way. But if I could go back and I could, I could meet my, my, you know, the me back then and say, listen, don't do this. Or instead of doing this, this is something that you could have done, but you didn't, right? Or this is something that you did do that you shouldn't have done. What would you do? And, and I didn't really care what the answer was. I wasn't trying to figure out the answer, but I was just saying, okay, whatever that is, that's what I want to do right now. And so I just started, I just, I started from zero in a sense and just said, like, I don't really care what happened in the past. I'm going to, I have a vision for what I want my life to do, be and how really more how I want to live my life. Yes. And I'm going to, you know, there's no, you know, I, the biggest 
thing that I would ever feel bad about it is having regrets about something. Mm. You know, it's like knowing you could have done something, but you took the safe road out because you only get one chance in this world to let, you know, really do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And so, you know, I, I made a lot of changes in my life and there was a lot of things I, I did. And one of them, this was in Cincinnati when I was really kind of coming up with this. I said, I really want to live in a place that's warm weather. So I was actually looking, moving back down to Florida. Um, and then my, I found out my best friend from high school was living in LA. Mm. And so I was like, all right, well, I don't, you know, I just view Southern California as Southern California. It's all, all one giant blob of cities, you know, even though right. obviously that's not the case. And so I was planning on coming out here. And so actually moving out here to San Diego was, was part of it. It was a big risk. Mm. I mean, you're, I'd never been west of Chicago in my life. Mm. <laughs> I've only been Chicago <laughs> once. So really, I mean, it's, and so coming out here, driving across the country through Indian reservations, this was before cell phones were really prevalent, praying to God, my car didn't break down. Mm. And, uh, coming out here was part of it. It was an investment. And I think when you come to start a business, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, I was doing really well at my company. But, you know, if you go look back historically at companies that have done really well over, let's say, a 30 to 50 year time frame, you don't know that that company is not going to be around anymore. It could get bought out. It could get um, Mitt Romney, where like you have Bain Capital come in, buy them out, move all the jobs to Thailand, (laughs) you know, strip it out and, you know, whatever. But you just don't know. Sure. And for me, it was like I want to be able to. I want to be able to have more say in my life. I want to be able to have more say in my day. You know. And so I, you know, I just got married, really, or was about to get married, and she had like a five-year-old daughter, and I wanted to be able to, you know, have more time to spend with her. To be fair, mm-hmm. like if it's picking her up from school, volunteering, doing that kind of thing. But you can't do that when you're working until five, six, seven o'clock at night. It's just, it's not really a possibility for the most part. What are you going to do? Reserve it for one day a week? I mean, that really doesn't drive home that message as far as what's important to you. And so that was a lot of it, um, being able to do that or visiting family or traveling or doing the things that are high on the list of things that are important to me. Um, but it comes down to that point, like you said, it's like you can either grab somebody, well, I don't know if you said it this way, but I'm sure it's you'll probably agree with me, but like you can either grab somebody else, an oar on somebody else's boat and start working for them. Or you can actually start designing boats and deciding what kind of boat you want to have and where you want to go and when you want to go and under what conditions and all that. So I think that's one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is that it really challenges you. It tests you, but it also specifically rewards you according to the value system that you have inside of you. Yes. Well, using the boat metaphor, um, I feel like being an employee to some degree is like being a galley slave. <clears throat> You're literally chained to a to a seat with an oar in your hand, and uh, and uh, your job is just to uh, you know move that oar back and forth uh, to the to the beat of the drum of the big guy who has a whip in his hand. And, uh, and he, they'll make an announcement every once in a while. Hey, the good news is you get to rest for 15 minutes. And the bad news is the captain wants to water ski today. So you've got, <laughs> you've got, you've got the oar and you just keep doing that. And, uh, and, and you can see that's primitive technology. Now, nowadays with technology being what it is, um, maybe, Maybe you can design and create your own boat. 
and go where you want to go under your own power instead of being the galley slave chained to a chained to an oar and uh, subject to the whims of the powers that be that you never see because you're down below so that's the kind of metaphor i see for the entrepreneur the entrepreneur for whatever reason practical or imaginary or otherwise decides that he wants to design and build and sail and or otherwise uh, uh, go where he wants to go in his own boat. And uh, is it easy? No. Um, is there a good chance? I mean, would you, would you be safer as a galley slave? Maybe. Um, so you're going to take that risk. You're going to design and build your own boat. You're going to go out on the ocean searching for treasure, sunken treasure or whatever, buried treasure. And that's the entrepreneur. That's the entrepreneur way. And you are the captain of your boat. And uh, if you're lucky and if you're smart and if the tides are favorable, you create a bigger boat. And now you are the captain and you've got some people rowing or you've got some people sailing or you've got a crew and you continue to build until what? You have an ocean, you know, have a cruise ship or something? I don't know. I mean, look at Jack Ma the largest IPO in history. He was a school teacher. Now he's doing an IPO for what, 35 billion ant group, right? Um, obviously more money than he needs. Is he doing it for the money? I don't think so. I mean, he literally said a while back that he's, he is um, resigning from the helm, so to speak, of his previous uh, multi-billion dollar venture, Alibaba Group, and now he's created the, fi the fintech uh, called Ant Group, and it's the largest IPO in history. How did this guy go from being a school teacher in China, as Trump would say, China, 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 uh, our mortal enemies for some reason, I don't know why. But anyway, uh, how would he go from being a school teacher, which obviously does not pay well in China? to becoming the rich, literally the richest man in China, maybe, who knows how, you know, I mean, he's not maybe the richest man in the world, but he's pretty darn close to it. So um, by almost any measure. So how did he do that? How, how did he do that? Obviously he did take advantage of some technology and some, he took advantage of hard work and what he knew, but every, there's a lot of people that work really hard. And at the end of the month, they don't have a dime to show for it, okay? So it's something more than just hard work. It's something more than just using technology. It's something more than just taking advantage of an opportunity. And that's what we're here to explore, really, is what, what's involved? What's involved in this journey, this adventure of being an entrepreneur? And how do you take advantage and how do you succeed? Because there's no point in being an entrepreneur and working 80 hours a week to be your own boss and not getting where you want to go. How do you get where you want to go? How do you get, you could call that money. You could call that uh, 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 disrupting an industry. You could call that uh, uh, success. Uh, you could call it a lot of things. Uh, living the dream, uh, whatever you call it. I don't call it the American dream anymore. I think the American dream is another story, but Living your dream is the important thing. Living what you want, creating your own, creating a life that you want to live. 
so yeah, there's a certain amount, I think a certain amount of craziness and independence and, uh, and talent and hard work and opportunity and luck and all those things come together in terms of being an entrepreneur and succeeding. Because let's face it, most businesses that get started, what do they say, uh, five years later, 80% of them didn't make it, right? So yeah, it's a challenge. It, it, it is a hero's journey, so to speak, in some, to some, in some ways. But uh, that's what we're here to all talk about and explore, uh, is yeah. what is this all about? What is being an entrepreneur all about? Yeah, and I think I think when it comes down, that's kind of the way I look at it is like I compare it to the way that people invest in their retirement, right? So like mm. being an employee, it's 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 kind of like saying, okay, well, I'm going to take five percent of my paycheck and I'm just going to blindly stick it in a fund and hope that thirty to forty years later that everything works out and I have enough money for me to comfortably retire. But it's like, wait a minute, <clears throat> you have no involvement in it. You don't know the fun. You didn't choose it. You're just, you know, you're letting either a company or an individual person blindly handle it. You're just totally hands off. Like I'm just, you know, I'll let you handle it. You know, I know everything. I know I need this for my retirement and my living and to pay my bills and to pay for my roof over my head and pay for everything for me. And I know that pretty much nobody that's around right now is going to be around when I'm 70, 80 years old, but I'm just going to let some stranger I'm going to hand blindly hand to some stranger money and just be hands off about it. And it's like, nobody would ever do that. I mean, they, well, some people do, but like, if you explain it to them, like most people would not want to do it that way. And yet being an employee is the same thing. It, it depends what you're doing. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're, I guess if you're a doctor or a teacher or something, it's a little bit more stable, you know, mm-hmm. maybe there's an argument to be made about that. But in general, you know, if you look at the pattern of employment for the last 50 years, it's literally shifted away like uniformly from job security and retirement security to neither. I mean, think about the last five years, you brought up a term that we talked about early on uh, was the word gig. I mean, a gig 10 years ago, if you said a gig, that's a musician, Mm -hmm. that's a comedian, that's a person who's poor. That's a person who, you know, shares uh, a loft apartment with with three other people who's <laughs> sleeping on an air mattress in their in their uh, in a living room. Yes. You know, but it's like that's kind of where things are at. And even here in California on election day, they have one of the propositions is is to preserve the gig economy. <clears throat> because companies are just like it's at a point right now where it's like people are, the companies don't even want you classified as an employee. So it went from <clears throat> you know graduate college or high school, work for a company for 50 years, get a pension, and you're pretty much set for the rest of your life. And then it was, well, you may not work for the same company for a while. And then the company realizes, well, we're not going to have this person for 30, 40 years. Maybe we don't want to give them a pension. So they shifted Mm -hmm. away from pensions. Mm -hmm. And then then it's got to a point where there's no pensions and people are changing jobs all the time. And now it's like the whole idea from a gig economy is they're not classified as employees, they're classified as independent contractors. Mm-hmm. So now the companies are like, well, we don't even want to count you as an employee anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if we can get in, you know, some of the biggest companies are like, yeah, you're not even an employee anymore. And even companies like, like the technology companies, they generally don't hire people as employees, they hire somebody through a third, a third party agency. 
and you work for that third party agency, but like if you're working at, let's say Apple or Facebook, you don't work for Apple or Facebook, you work at Apple, but you don't work for Apple. Mm-hmm. And so you say to yourself, okay, well, this is the kind of the way that the, this is kind of the way that, that this pattern is progressing. That's fine. If it, if it continues going this way for another five to 10 to 15 years, where will it be? And I'd say right. you're probably going to have more sectors in the economy where they're going to reclassify people as independent contractors and they're going to be able to use technology to advance that. And so if that's the case, there it's like there's a difference between letting go of, when you're skydiving, letting go of the rail on the side of the plane by yourself and having somebody just give you a kick right to the midsection and thrust you out. Like you're going to go out of that plane one way or another, voluntarily or not. The Mm -hmm. question is, do you want to stay on this plane or or use the boat analogy we had before to a point where that decision is made for you, but not on your terms. So it's either a layoff or your company leaves the state or it could be any number of things. Or do you want to actually have a say in what you're doing, which means that you you have to get more involved. And see, that's the problem, I think, for a lot of people is that there's a, there's a big laziness factor with a lot of people. I mean, it's hmm. true with me. I'm sure with you, with everybody. But it's like now all of a sudden you have to get involved. You have to start educating yourself. You have to make, have responsibility and accountability for your own decisions. And that's not easy. I mean, it's easy to come, you know, basically work for eight hours a day, come home, make dinner, watch TV, go to sleep, and, and just start it over five days a week. And then you have a weekend, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. But to actually have to take responsibility for this to, for your own future requires a level of ownership that most people just don't have. It. Well, I shouldn't say they don't have. They haven't been used to having. Mm-hmm. And when I started, it was like that was the big thing. I realized that, okay, I could start my own business, but then I have to be the expert at everything to begin with. I have to be the expert at, at marketing, at branding, at, at finances, at um consumer behavior, psychology, um, you know, everything, product design, videography, advertising, marketing, everything. And I'm not, I, who is, right? Right. But you have to, you have to figure that out. Maybe you, maybe some people are lucky enough to find a partner that complements that. And that just means they have half of, you know, the work taken off their plate, but they still have half the work on their plate. Um, and that's not easy, but it's one of these things where it's like, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, kind of how things are progressing and forecasting things out, you do realize that if, you know, unless you're in a rare industry, your job isn't long for this world. Yes. You know, like I had, a, we were talking about in our last, last uh, episode, I was talking, telling you about the guy who I met who we were interviewing him for a job and he worked as a, he's worked as an ad rep for yellow pages. Mm. <laughs> and I just looked at his resume, looked at him and I just said bluntly, I'm like, yeah, I know why you're here. <laughs> and he's like, yep. Yeah. He's seen you know, the writing, not the writing on the wall, but the writing on the yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. Or actually he, he saw the <clears throat> writing and it wasn't in the yellow pages and that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no pictures either just just no, was, just, just was, a notice you will be no, eliminated but it, was, but it was going online it's like i remember growing up there was a tele there was a tep, typewriter repair shop mm-hmm. down the street for me yes and then like i was in high school and i drive by and i'm like yeah that's not there anymore 
Right. You know, which it's, it's like, coming back into vogue. It, there will soon be a typewriter repair shop again, but there's yeah, only going to be one in a very, very <laughs> large city. Just one. That's Just all one. there's going to be. There won't be one on every corner. It's not <laughs> right. Starbucks. Okay. But to, to give you an example, a real world example, last night a friend of mine stopped by for a uh, socially distanced uh, visit. Uh, and he ended up staying. We had a little bonfire in my backyard. I have a, you know, outdoor fireplace bonfire thing that I, I built and created. But we ended up talking, and he's been a friend of mine for twenty plus years. Now, to give you a real world example, okay, of a couple different ways that people can choose this path, okay. Um, he never was. He he started off thinking he might want to be an entrepreneur. He had two advanced degrees from Caltech. Very smart guy. He it spent some twenty years uh, working for uh, attempting to work for engineering companies, and they were all uh, either incompetent or they didn't like his personality or they wanted to use him uh, as much as possible and throw him away. <clears throat> like a squeezed orange. Um, and he decided that his best bet would be to work for the government. And, and I use the word work lightly because he, right. he says, if you go to work for the government, you'd really don't go there to work. You go there to hang out or to play the game or to just do, you know, uh, whatever it is that you do. Um, because it's, 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 it's a situation where nobody wants to work hard and you know you're not making as much money as you would make in, in, in civilian life, so to speak. But he went to work uh, for, the, uh, for the government. Uh, he became a, kind of a project analyst auditor for big uh, DOD type uh, construction projects. And he worked there for 32 years. He's my age. He recently, uh, about two years ago, he retired with a pension. He was making about 150000 a year towards the end of his uh, career. And he wasn't working very hard. Like he said, he was a smart guy. He only put in about an hour a day. <laughs> that doesn't include, like doesn't include lunch. Um, but he was a member of a union. He was a member of the Teamsters. So... Um, he, he had a little bit of, uh, he had a little bit of, uh, how, 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 how can I say this? Um, a little bit of power, uh, to, to fight the bureaucracy, but he was there. He got his pension. I think his pension's about 40,000 a year. He has about a million dollars in the bank because he invested heavily in every, every extra penny he had, he put into, uh, you know, his 401k or whatever. He didn't have kids. He didn't have a wife to take half of what he owned towards the end of his career. So <clears throat> he's doing pretty well now. But he was telling me the story. Now that's one path. Go to work for somebody like the government and it, it, where, which is a career thing and it's hard to fire you after a certain amount of time. So you're just there and uh, hopefully that works out for you. Between social security investments and, and his pension, He's doing pretty well at 60, almost 65 years old. However, and he realized that was a good path for him because he engineering, being working for an engineer as an engineer in a company, like you said, has changed. It's not the, the, the career with the pension. Now he was talking to a guy, he lives, 
he lives in OB. He was talking to a guy who worked for IBM for 30 years. And IBM decided in, the, in the, his last year of employment, IBM decided to take away 75% of his pension and no health benefits. Jeez. So the guy worked for 30 years for IBM. I've been manipulated, international baloney manufacturers. And uh, in his 29th year, they changed the pension so that he only he, they eliminated 75% of his pension and his health benefits. So now him, he and his wife are paying 1500 a month for health benefits. And uh, their pension is reduced by uh, 75%. And he, IBM the employees actually went to court. And sued IBM because they said this isn't right, this isn't legal, this isn't the way it should be. And IBM won. So if you think about it, you know, obviously there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees as an entrepreneur, and there's no guarantees if you work for IBM for 30 years. Or uh, there are some guarantees if you work for the United States government, assuming, of course, that the United States. United States government continues to exist, but <laughs> so yeah, if you want to work civil service and uh, and retire after thirty years, there are going to be some guarantees. But he pointed out that some of the people that that became employees of the government after he did that were not grandfathered into the same pension plan were paying more four percent, five percent, six percent more to get the same benefits that he had because the rules keep changing. But my point is, there's no guarantee as an entrepreneur, and there's no guarantee as an employee of IBM, and there probably isn't going to be this. Uh, the guarantees are going to change if you work for civil service. So, what do you do? What do you do? Well, and I think that's part of it. I think if you're working for the government and you have a protected job, I think that's a little bit, a little bit different. You know what I mean? And those people mm -hmm. aren't going to want to become entrepreneurs anyway. <clears throat> but I think you have to, and even, even if that's the case, like if you're forecasting where things are going, <clears throat> you know, absent a revolution or some massive shakeup, I think, you know, that's probably one of the less volatile places to be. But I'm imagining people that are watching or listening to this or watching this right now aren't going to be, um, aren't going to be sitting here going, you know, it's not going to be encapsulated of, of just, you know, 30-year tenured civil service employees. Otherwise, we're probably putting this in the wrong place. I think so. Um, yes, you would be correct. But if, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but let's say that you're a staff accountant or, um, you know, it could be, you could be a software engineer or something like that. Somewhere, someone with a definite skill set for sure. Um, but, but it could be, you know, there could be Somebody could come out and say, well, it's a ubiquitous skill set. Like you can come out and do that. If I want to be, if I want to become a software engineer, I could go to school right now, study it and get a certification in not too long of a time and become a software engineer. If I wanted to be a staff accountant, I, there's probably a certificate or two I could get to do that as well beyond mm -hmm. what I already know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, but the question is, you have to look at it from the executive side of it. It's like, you know, who are the people that are making the decision that are most likely to upend your life? <clears throat> you know, I know that when I've been in places where there have been layoffs, <clears throat> it's a tough day. It sucks. I mean, you don't like, you don't like getting rid of people for your own benefit because, you know, they've been really good for you for the most part. Um, 
but then you realize you're sending people home and you know, they have to explain themselves to their family or their spouse or their girlfriend or whatever it is. <clears throat> and that's a decision that you don't really want to have. But then it's like their lifestyle changes for an extended period of time, however long that is, not having a job and maybe they lose their apartment. Do they have to move home with their parents? I mean, move into their car, <laughs> move into their car. Maybe they don't have parents to move into, you know, and it's like, but in the end, it's like that decision is made. I've been in places where it's made. That decision's made <clears throat> on the basis of numbers. Like maybe we missed, you know, maybe we missed our revenue projection by 20%. Well, that's money that you don't have anymore to pay payroll. So you have to trim, trim things out. Maybe it's something where the corporate tax rate went up. And it's like, all right, we can either pay that money as wages to employees or we can pay it to the government as a tax. And so you just don't know when that's going to happen. It's out of your control. But when you get to the, the CFO and the corporate the finance people get in and they realize it's like, all right, we need to trim. This is how they look at it is we need to trim $3 million from our budget this year. You know, and it's like, where can we get away with trimming that money and least impact our business? Now, like the CFO is not going to go, well, let's trim mine because I make a half million dollars. Like, but no, but he's one CFO. But if I know if I know that I have three teams of staff accountants, I could probably make two teams. I could probably trim some staff accounting, have them work a little bit longer, look a little harder, get rid of one of the managers, and and probably not get impacted all that much. You know, um, but that's where where it comes into. And even salespeople, it's the same thing. It's like people say, "Oh, well, you're never going to get rid of salespeople because they're the revenue people." Well, not necessarily. You know, I'll, I'll get rid of, you know, certain salespeople that aren't performing because whether it's through payroll taxes or just the, the, the amount of money that you spend to house them, to give mm -hmm. them a phone or a desk or something like that, or all the other things that go along with it. I mean, you're paying it, you're paying for their insurance, any number of things. So mm -hmm. I think when you want to become getting back to what we talked about before, you know, it's important if you are looking at that, especially in the age of COVID and saying, well, you know, everything got upended. I mean, especially if you're like a restaurant manager and it's like you thought you'd always have a job because people are always going to eat out. Well, you just don't know when something's going to happen where the government comes in and says, you're closed, you're closed, you're closed. Mm -hmm. And now they are literally prohibited, not even by law, but by dictate um, from being open. <clears throat> and it's like right now, it's like it's it's kind of scary for most people, but you know, I, I'm an eternal optimist and I, I look at this and I'm like, you know, I tend to, whether it's investing or, or, or really anything, it's like when the mass of humanity moves in a, a given direction or they have a certain belief in something, usually the truth lies in the inverse. Mm -hmm. So if everybody's saying, oh my gosh, the stock market's <laughs> going down, we need to sell everything. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm looking at it from an accounting point of view. Like the cost basis for that stock just went down. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it costs less to get that stock. If I, if I want to get a really nice state of the art TV and it costs, let's say 1500 bucks. And then, you know, I can get it for 600 because mm -hmm. it's black Friday. I'm going to do that because that's an opportunity. That's not going to happen again. Mm. Um, and when it comes to a business, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, it's COVID. You know, people are trying to get in this phrase of the new normal, like everything that we're dealing with is going to go on forever. And I'm like, no, like, that's not the case. Like, you come up with a menu, you kind of have an agreement with the chef of like, Hey, I want to do this when things open up. And that way, you know, being in a more agile position, when things clear up, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. But maybe, 
But on the other hand, it's like, it really doesn't matter what the business is because the business, and this we've talked about before, <clears throat> basically a business is, is designed to do one thing. It's to basically solve other people's problems. That's, that's every business in the world has one function and that's it. Apple has a function. They basically, you know, do any number of things. So you have an iPhone and it's basically designed to be a one-stop stop for everything, whether it's directions, finding restaurants, restaurant reviews, email, text, phone. Um, it even has a thing where you can like measure distances, which I just think is crazy that it can even do that. But the reason that people pay money for an Apple is because it solves so many other problems in one fell swoop, their iPhone does, um, that people are willing to spend money for it. If you look at people who have um, podcast subscriptions, well, they're, they're adding a value to something. If you know, look at people that are cutting cords, the value of the cord cutting companies are providing, a, a, or the, the cord cutting companies, whether it's Hulu or, you know, whatever mm. it is, they're providing a value to people that people see the value and the value is higher than the cost that they're asking for. Mm. It's not a break even thing. They feel like they're getting a greater value. So they sign up. <clears throat> well, the thing about COVID right now is there's so many problems that people have right now. There's never been a time where there's been so many problems that, um, that a ton of people are having that somebody could come in with a given expertise or talent or skill set or experience to come in and actually solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And with businesses going out of business and the landscape changing, all it really takes is for somebody to really sit back to analyze the landscape and saying, okay, where do I see things going? Where is there a problem being created that I can solve? Mm -hmm. And I remember back in March when all this stuff was going down, I was at a, 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 a breakfast, like lunch and learn, so to speak, a breakfast and learn. And a guy who had this clothing company, he, he was the first person I ever heard of pivoting to create masks. And he did it with his logo on it. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, oh, you got to get a mask. And everybody's, you know, going to Home Depot and trying to find the N95 masks or the paint, and paint fume mask and everything. And he basically started creating masks. Like he used to create yoga pants, <laughs> you know, but now he's like creating masks with his company's logo on it. And he just started getting orders through the roof. Hmm. And I just thought that was really amazing. Not only are you solving a problem of getting somebody a mask when it was really hard to get a mask to begin with, but you're actually putting your company's name logo and name on it. And you're getting people who are wearing this mask to promote your business. This is the only mask they have, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the question for people out there listening, is like, okay, there's so many, you know, all these problems that are happening, all this unrest and not like unrest, like violence, but all this like uncertainty in the market right now. What's something that you can do that you have experience in that you can help people with right now? Because right now, I think as a whole, and I think Al, you'd probably agree with this, is there's not like this giant groundswell of people saying, let's go start a business. I mean, you, you're probably are going to be starting a business with fewer competitors right now than you've ever had, than anybody ever had. Because everybody's swimming out everybody's walking out going, Oh, this is great. Look at the shore just went out a half a mile. Look at all the fish in the boats laying in what used to be the ocean. And what they don't know is the tsunami is coming. <laughs> so if you can get people up on a higher ground, you're actually doing somebody a favor. So the question is, what can you, what can somebody do to basically solve what there's never been this many problems 
as a whole in, in our society at one time that are left unsolved. And there's never been a time where there's fewer competitors as a barrier to market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you go in, there's going to be less noise, whatever you're doing. If it's selling flowers, if it's trimming bonsai trees like Daniel LaRusso or whatever, it could be anything, whatever it is, whatever the problem is, um, being able to solve it in a unique way, according to your skill set, your history, your experience, your talents, you're just, you're not going to have, you're, you have a bunch of people that are so worried about what's going on. They're looking for a solution to their problem. Mm-hmm. every day they're on the news they're on online everybody's at home um and there's not a whole lot of competitors out there so it's like I, you know if you would have had this five years ago and i'd said yeah you're gonna have more problems than you've ever had before and nobody's thinking about starting businesses and you have very few competitors and even those that you are competitors probably aren't going to be in business for very long it's the perfect time to get in mm-hmm. it's like it's a discount it's like a mass it's like going to a store and getting an 80% discount off of off of the product you want. Or it's going to Black Friday and seeing that thing that's 60% off and they don't let anybody in the store except for you. Well, it's interesting what you said, Matt. Well, first of all, uh, to address the 1919 issue, there was an, uh, something going on at that time which made a huge difference, a little thing called World War One. okay? So- Didn't there- that end in 1918? That was 14 to 18, was it not? Was it really? Yeah. Because, because I think the that pandemic had a big... was, because the pandemic, the reason it was called the Spanish flu, it wasn't because it had anything to do with Spain. Um, none of the countries who were actively involved in World War One were reporting on it because they mm-hmm. didn't want to scare their populace. Correct. But yes. Spain was neutral in mm-hmm. World War One, and the mm-hmm. Spanish press was the only press that was reporting on this flu that was going around, so right. they called it the Spanish flu. Right. That ended in 1918 when World yeah. War One, because also the other thing, being a baseball fan, um, <laughs> there were soldiers that were playing, there were players in <laughs> World War One that were play, playing baseball, and they didn't come back until 1919, mm-hmm. and that was the end of the dead ball era. So ironically, that that was kind of the one or like, even though I wasn't alive, that's kind of one area that I kind of know a lot about. But from my okay. understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've always thought that I've always at least heard or understood that World War One was from 14 to 18. It could be, but I, I was, I guess the only point I was making is in spite of the pandemic, I, it seems like there's this period of prosperity, i.e. the 1920s, the roaring 20s. There seems to be some period of prosperity after a major war, World War. Sure. And uh, it happened after World War II, and I believe it happened after World War I in spite of the pandemic. But well, I I'll think the question what, is, the question super- is, are we leading up to World War III, so to speak? Um, you know, because after the World War III, there's going to be another great economic boom of some kind. I don't know. So you actually bring up a really good point that I didn't even think about. So uh, we'll cover World War One. We'll go to World War Two. World War One mm-hmm. ended in December of 1918 or November of 1918. I just witnessed right, it. right. Well, the reason that <clears throat> there was a boom in the 50s <clears throat> was because it wasn't just because World War Two ended, but it's because all the economies in Europe, who were the main economic competitors to the United States, <clears throat> were destroyed. That is true. Germany was destroyed, London was destroyed, Paris was destroyed, right. um, Italy was destroyed. And so right. the 50s came along, and guess who were the only people with factories that are open? 
Yes, and and those factories are converted from Liberty bombers to making refrigerators and, and automobiles, stoves, cars, and automobiles and cars. They and, and and you had this incredible production capacity, and you had a lot of people sitting around saying, "Okay, what do we do now? The war's over." And you had no competitors. No competitors. Not right. even Germany. <laughs> Not even Germany. Like it's funny because I was talking to my wife. Her family, her mom's side of the family, is from Hanover. I said, "Hammer, no Frankfurt." Ah. And we were going to Europe a couple of years ago and I'm like, well, well, we're going to Ireland. I'm like, well, let's just stop off. We'll stop off in France and then maybe we could, we'll take a train. Maybe we'll just fly into Frankfurt mm-hmm. and we'll see, we'll see if you can find out where your family, you know, where your mom's side of the family's from. And mm-hmm. we talked to her mom and she's like, yeah, no, the ha- whole town was leveled in World War II. There's no, there was nothing left. Right. Like everything that's in Frankfurt right now is it, nothing's older than 1945. Right. So, but it's, but to that point, it's like, why did the fifties take off? It's not that we necessarily had better products, but we had the only products, but that Ooh. window didn't last very long because once we had that, it wasn't the Monroe doctrine. That's I think crossing from to the Pacific, but it was the, mm-hmm. I forget what the doctrine is, but uh, the Marshall plan, that's what it was. Yes. The Marshall plan about building back Europe and we built back Europe and Germany took off and England took off. Italy sort of took off. They make terrible cars still. Um, <laughs> but they had all these countries that we rebuilt their economies and all of a sudden they became our competitors. Mm-hmm. And we still did well in the 60s. So the 60s were really good as far as economic times. Mm-hmm. By the time in, that Europe got going, you'd start to see a transition of even some of the industries, the auto industry, you'd start to see some of the German cars taking taking a foothold and uh, you'd see a lot of the factories, especially in Northern Europe, whether it's Poland or Germany or uh, France or what have you um, took off. But there was that window where you can really get in there and establish something. And it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the dot-com era, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was such a wild West era and there's everybody starting, you know, all these different companies, but it was one of these things where there was a hunger of something new, like, Back then, it was like, here are all these people that want to get online and want to want to really get into this digital, not economy, but like, you know, you had AOL chat rooms and email starting and web pages. And I mean, I don't even know that it was much e-commerce going on for the most part. I think it was mm-hmm. pretty much eBay at that point was, was most mm-hmm. of it. Um, but it was an opportunity to get in there and be a first mover, to get your name in the door. And really your job at that point, it was kind of like riding a bull. It was like, all right, you're on the bull. You just got to last eight seconds and stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that did, those are, the, those are the big companies that we see now. The Yahoo, even though you can question that. But Google was started in 98. Amazon. I mean, all these com- companies. Facebook. That, well, Facebook started a little bit later. But yeah. Yes, but but, but even but looking at... Um, you know, kind of what they were doing back then. It was like, I remember it was in 90, I think it was in 98. There was this mad rush to hire software programmers mm-hmm. and they were paying, uh, it was like $150,000 just to program web pages. Just, and like people would quit their jobs. Like they would quit, completely quit a job that had nothing to do with technology. They get a software uh, design certificate and they would be paid 150 grand a year to sit here and write code for web pages. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't going to last forever. I mean, I think that lasted probably a few years. Yeah. But it was this massive demand for this because there was a big vacuum, right? 
And it was just like in the 50s, you know, in the US and in 1920s in the US, it's like there's an opportunity coming up where there's such a, there's, there's that vacuum that you can come in and actually have probably, like I said, a competitive free environment. You, you have people that are just eagerly like looking for it. Like I think the dot-com mm-hmm. era, like you were talking about a little bit before, made the most sense because people wanted to get there. It was this cool thing going on that, that right. never, it was avant-garde. Right. And yet there weren't enough people in there doing it. And so there, you know, there was, it was kind of cool because you had all the, all the people who are the smartest people in the world would end up kind of gravitating toward the tech industry mm-hmm. and create these amazing, amazing companies. Right. And then you so, have some schlubs that would do the same thing and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get the same <clears throat> result. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you talked about the dot-com. Look how many companies didn't make it. Look how many companies sort of made it and then died out. Look how many companies sure. finally, finally went big, big, big. But the three, the three things, the three factors that led to the modern world that we, as we know it, of which we are still riding the wave, is media, communi- media and communications, TV, phone, et cetera, later to become internet, uh, computers, advanced in computers, computers designing computers, computers designing everything else, computers leveraging knowledge and information that went along with the media and communications, and guess what? Fossil fuel, cheap energy, i.e. gasoline, which is more has more energy than dynamite, and cheap fossil fuel, pump it out of the ground, distill it, spread it around, and sell it for 10 cents a gallon. It's cheap energy. So that's the wave that we're still riding today, computers, communications, and energy created the modern era if we didn't have advanced super quantum leaps and advancement in those three areas we'd still be living like living like ted kaczynski let's face it i mean you know uh we'd we'd all be living in in a little uh, i don't know how we'd be living to be honest with you without computers and media internet and and fossil fuels but what's happening in the future Going back to what you said about opening up a restaurant, I believe there's still an opportunity if you want to be in a pizza, you want to open a restaurant, open up a pizza place that delivers because you'll always be making a lot of dough. That is my, that would be my recommendation. Don't get into any other kind of restaurant business. Now, or if you're Chinese, open up a Chinese place that delivers, but um, that's it. But it goes back to what you were saying that the, the, if there's problems, problems equal opportunities. But only for the entrepreneur. Otherwise, problems are just a pain in the ass for the average person. Only the entrepreneur sees them as opportunities because that's how their mind works. I was watching a show last night uh, on Amazon Prime called T-Pain, T-Pain's Business School. This guy is a musician and rapper. Yeah, I know. yeah T-Pain, I, I, I know T-Pain. I don't know who he is. He, he, he's an African-American guy that I guess has done okay as a rapper or as a musician. He, and, had, that, he had that song that says, I'm on a boat. Okay, I, I have no they did a They did a whole Saturday Night Live skit on that guy. Okay. Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon did. 
So he got some press, he got some publicity, he got some media attention, and maybe he's made a little bit, a little bit of money. But his show was called T Pain's Business School, and he did he he does every episode is basically him interviewing four entrepreneurs, uh, and these entrepreneurs are 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 doing something different. Okay, they're doing something unique, and they are. I wouldn't say they're disrupting the market, but let's just say they're going into a market that might be a $40 billion market worldwide, but they're doing it differently. One uh, was raiding, uh, 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 raising fly grub larvae and turning it into chicken feed and packaging it, selling it as chicken feed. Another one was... Uh, 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 creating uh, a, a marijuana-infused wine, weed wine. Okay, yep, I've heard of that. Um, and they, but here's what really struck me, and why it applies to what we're talking about. Not just that, that these guys were doing a business, but when you and and obviously you can go into huge depth. I mean, this was just like uh, what do you call it? Uh, just a you know a five-minute thing with each one. You know, right. Um, but you got to meet the owners and you got to hear a little bit about it. And here's what struck me. The guys that were doing, for example, turning fly larvae into grubs and then baking that, and turning that into chicken feed. They had to spend two years figuring out how to do it. Okay. And do it right. Same with the wine infused guys they had they had to spend more money on attorneys than they had to do on anything else they came up with an idea they thought about the market they had some background one guy was studying to be a wine sommelier or whatever you want to call it and uh wine expert and and he got this idea but they found out legally they could not you cannot sell alcohol and weed under the same roof and they can't have anything to do with each other so i had to take the alcohol out of the wine in order to put the weed into the wine legally so here's my point just because there's an opportunity and you get obsessed with an idea then you think it's going to solve a problem does not mean you're going to be successful, rich, or otherwise disrupt an industry. There's a lot to it. And if you, even if you, you take any entrepreneur that started something that became successful and you talk to him or her, and you talk to the team or whoever it is, and you'll find that the kinds of problems that they had to overcome in order to solve the problem is tremendous. They just wake up and say, okay, we're going to do this. Sometimes they woke up, they had to engineer it. It took them years to engineer. It took them years to find an investor. It took them years to get known. And if, you know, if T-Pain hadn't been, uh, uh, you know, made fun of by SNL or hadn't gotten any media attention, he'd just be some guy sitting there with a computer trying to make music in his dad's basement. But he became an entrepreneur and he got some money and then he's branching out into different things. He calls himself a businessman. If he's wearing a suit, he's a businessman. If he's not wearing a suit, he's a rapper or a hip hop or music guy. I don't know how it works. But the point is that the challenges and the problems you're gonna face being an entrepreneur in order to solve other people's problems are huge. 
And they kind of fall into three categories. You know, how are you going to create your product and service? How are you going to reach the, how are you going to reach people and convince them that it, it's going to solve the problem? And how do you get money in order to, you know, leave your dad's basement and with your laptop and actually create a business? The opportunities have never been greater, but the challenges are there. And I think what we want to explore in the future, as time goes on in multiple episodes, are what are these challenges? How do you deal with them? How do you overcome them? How do you have a strategy to get to the next level? To go from, I'm a guy sitting in a studio apartment with my notebook, my notebook, my laptop, whatever you want to call it, and an internet connection with an idea. And how do you turn that into a business where other people want to be your galley slaves, you know, and work for you and you pay them a salary and you take your business to the next level and then you become ant financial. And then uh, hopefully you create a $40 billion IPO and the investors are all lined up to give you money. That would be great. So how do you do that? And I think that's what we want to talk about. And I think one of the things that we can talk about in the future, when we have guests on the podcast, we can ask them, how did you do this? How did you, how did you get the idea? How did you create the company? What was it like when you first started? And how did you get it to the next level? And how did you, how did you know it was going to be a success? Or did you know it was going to be a success? And how did you get your uh, first round of, uh, of, of angel investment money? Because let's face it, if you don't get some, at some point in your business, you've got to get some money coming in beside the profit that you're making on each widget or transaction, because it's not enough to grow the business to the next level. You need investors. So how do you get investors? Other than bugging your relatives, assuming they have some money, you know, how do you get investors? How do you build the business to the next level and to the next level? And what is your goal? Is your goal to solve a problem for millions of people? Or is your problem to solve millions of problems for a few people? What is your goal? At some point, how do you cash out or cash in, depending on how you look at it? Are you going to continue to be a business? Are you going to continue to be public, private? Where do you want to go? how do you expand? How do you deal with the markets? How do you deal with getting that next round of investment, whatever it is? And how do you end up not being the victim of your own success? So many companies out there got to a point, the entrepreneur got them to a point where he became, in a sense, irrelevant because he was an entrepreneur and not a manager or a CEO, corporate executive type to run a corporation. So what did he do? Look, Uber is a perfect example. The guy that started Uber, did he make a lot of money? Yes, he made a lot of money. Did he make a lot of mistakes? Yes, he made a lot of mistakes. Did he disrupt an industry? Yes. Did he create a new, did he solve problems? Yes. But at some point after he got all this, got his money, after shooting himself in the foot accidentally or on purpose a few times, He got the money. Now he's off uh, doing something else, investing in other companies or being a philanthropist or whatever the hell he's doing. He's not running Uber. That's obvious. 
Yeah, you, got so you, know, you have to take that into consideration also as part of the entrepreneurial journey. At what point do you exit? And do you exit with some money or do you exit with nothing? Because there are plenty of companies out there that have got millions and millions of dollars in investment money, thought they were solving an incredible, thought they were solving a problem for a lot of people, disrupted an industry to a certain degree, And that's it. They had to close up shop. They could not get to the next level. And without that kind of growth, they had no reason to stay into business. So they, they're gone now. Whatever their or crazy name was. Or they took the, a buyout of a small amount because the company knew they were going to just take off, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of the guys that started Ring, right? They were, um, I don't know. Do you know the story behind those guys? A little bit, yes. So a they little. were on, they, they had this company called doorbot mm. that's what it was originally called doorbot and they went on shark tank mm. i don't know if you know that but the people on ring were on shark tank and they um they didn't get picked up at least that's my understanding from mm-hmm. and mr wonderful things, mr wonderful didn't like them that much no i think it was cuban <laughs> mr wonderful um what's the lady's name barbara Co- cochran yeah corcoran Corcoran. Uh, Corcoran. Do not call her Cochran. Well, Corcoran. They're both Corcoran. Irish. Corcoran. They're, bo- they're both Irish names, and they're that probably the, they're probably from the same family. So. Right. 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 Um, but anyway, they. What's interesting is they changed it from the one thing they did. They realized because the people on Shark Tank said they hated the name, <laughs> Doorbot, and they ended up changing it to Ring. But it was interesting when they they got bought out by Amazon. Yes. Which, by the way, creeps a lot of people out. Um, <laughs> But one of the things that it's like, if you're sitting here and let's say you have a, you know, the valuation of your company, let's say it's, I don't know, a hundred million dollars, right? And Amazon comes around and says, we'll buy it for a hundred. No, 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 no. See, you can sell it to anybody else for a hundred, but if you sell it to Amazon, the people that are doing the, the, the number crunching at Amazon are way better and understand the growth model that they see in that company. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to sell it to Amazon, you better sell it for 200 or 250 or get a board seat or something like that involved on it. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times it's like it's, it's how you exit. I mean, if you've seen the movie The Social Network, they talk about um, Les Wexner and how he's when he started Victoria's Secret and he started small and he ended up selling it for like, I forget how much. It's like 25 million or whatever, some low amount. Mm. And then um, L Brands, they, they sold it to L Brands. L Brands took over and within a few years, they were, you know, it was worth $400 million. Mm-hmm. And, or no, they sold it to Les Wexter. That's who it is. The guy who started Victoria's Secret sold it to Les Wexter and L Brands. And it was like some small amount. And they said mm-hmm. the guy, and I don't know if it happened or not, but even if it, if it happened, then so be it. And if not, it's a great illustration either way. They said the guy got so depressed because he gave away this like mega company for nothing. Mm-hmm. He said he ended up jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh. So, but the whole point is like that, you know, you have to be smart in what you're doing and understanding these things. But for mm-hmm. the people that are listening to this right now, I mean, they're probably sitting there going, yeah, Al, must be really nice to be sitting here wondering what to do to cash out when you've, you know, <laughs> have a multi-million dollar, multi-hundred million dollar valuation company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you did mention some things I think we're going to talk about in some future episodes that I think are kind of within a little bit more baby steps of most of the people listening to this, yes. you know, 
um, you know, kind of what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I think you, you've kind of laid out some very important questions that, that, you know, need to be addressed for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really kind of what it's like to be an entrepreneur every day. I mean, if you're an employee and you know that you drive up, you got your parking spot, you go in, you clock in, you start work, you get a couple breaks, eat lunch, come home, and you just try not to piss off your boss for the most part. And maybe mm-hmm. you're really good at your job and maybe you're aiming for a promotion down the line. Promotion. Um, mm. and, and if you're at my old company, they had a 10% cap on promotion uh, compensation increases. So if you went from, let's say you're making $20 an hour, you could only make $22 an hour on your next promotion even or next raise or anything. Mm. So if you go from a manager to a director or a director to a VP, you can only get a 10% increase, even though if the jump is naturally higher, you're actually going to be underneath that, which totally sucks, by the way. That's just an aside. I was still, I was mad about that. Um, but we're going to talk about common mistakes that most new entrepreneurs make, which I think are just, there's so many of them. We couldn't even begin to cover all of them, but we'll cover some of the key ones. Mm-hmm. Um, how to think like an entrepreneur. You really covered that pretty well, but we're going to go into great detail on that because how, mm-hmm. how you think about things. And even today is kind of a little bit of a sense of like how entrepreneurs think about things. You know, employees right. are like, crap, I have to be at home. I lost my job. My hours are reduced. I pay cut. I have to be on Zoom. I have my boss staring at my computer all day long. Um, thinking like an entrepreneur is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to come up with, we're going to talk about the ideation process as well. How do you know if you have a good idea? Right. Right. So you might think you have a good idea, but you have to test that idea to make sure that it actually is a viable idea. So Mm -hmm. we had talked a little bit earlier about this hyperwriter repair shop. So how do you know if the next, if the, if the idea you have is it's either the next Google or the next typewriter repair shop Mm. Because you know, there's uh, one of the, one of my mentors used to say, he said, there's two types of bait that fishermen use. There's bait that the fish love and there's bait that the fisherman loves. Mm-hmm. fish are going to be the, the deciding factor on that. So when you're trying yes. to think of like, you know, how do you have, know if you have a good idea, we're going to talk about how to make sure that you've tested it and you, and it's really not hard to do, but you could test it and you literally have a massive confidence, like a crystal ball, you know, this idea is viable. Mm. Um, from there, we're going to talk about, you know, that you have the idea, what are the next steps you're going to take? It's great to have mm-hmm. an idea, but an idea is worthless if you're not taking the right steps on a go forward basis. Right. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to cover a whole bunch of stuff, but if you're basically listening to this thinking, okay, this is a good start. You know, I understand why it's a great time to start. I understand what, you know, the opportunities are out there like they've never been before. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the concrete steps you can take to actually move that idea forward. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Anything else you want to add before we, uh, before we close shop for the day? No, I, um, I, I, I think that this is going to be an interesting uh, journey, and I know that that uh, when uh, people, when the entre- uh, entrepreneurial type people listen to this, they're going to get a lot of value. Our goal is to bring them a lot of value and help them uh, know what it is that they don't know, and uh, help them to uh, to see. Uh, the uh, the pitfalls and the opportunities in the entrepreneurial journey. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And 
if uh, I would invite any of the uh, people who, who happen to see or hear this to uh, give us some feedback, uh, get in touch with us. And if they have any questions, ideas, any kind of response whatsoever, uh, feedback, we love to hear it. And that's all basically, I think, where, where we're going at this time. Yeah, and I'd say one of the things we're going to do to add some color on that, if you have any feedback or want to get in touch with us, you have a question, um, I'm going to put both of our email addresses in the show notes. So if you have a question for Al and you don't want anything to do with me, by all means, you can get in touch with him and vice versa. Um, and I would say from my perspective, I'd say I'm, I'm just the eternal optimist. And, and my goal on this, and I'm sure Al probably shares this goal as well, is we want to take you from a point where you're, you're unsure, maybe you're insecure about where you're at. You know, if you've gone through this COVID thing and it just, it, it, it's impacted everybody. Sure. It shook everybody to a certain degree. Um, the question is, do you want to look back and be wondering and be, have your life captive to all these, these variables that are unknown that we don't know where things are going to go? Is there going to mm -hmm. be a new normal? What's going to change? What's going to remain the same? And just understand that I think we are probably going into a new chapter in this country. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how much different it's going to be, but it's almost like people have talked about this being, you know, to whatever degree, the great reset. And I think right now you have an opportunity to come into a situation brand new and to do something you've never done before. And maybe you were happy in your old job and you had a career that seemed pretty stable and there was no reason to start a business. I get mm -hmm. it. I was there too. I was, mm -hmm. I, I was there for a long time, but sometimes it takes situations like this to really hit you for you to realize that maybe things aren't as secure as you wanted them to be. And you realize, well, if it could happen once, it could happen twice. So we want to give you the confidence on this that you can do it. You can control your own, I don't know, control, but you can design your own life, mm -hmm. dictate the terms of your own life. You don't have to paddle somebody else's oar on somebody else's boat, um, but you can kind of make your own way. So the question that I have is like, what are the things that you really want to do? If you, if you took that design your own life thing that I talked about and you said, okay, you're 80 or 90 years old and you can go back to this year and do anything differently. Mm -hmm. What would you do differently? If you, if, if, you know, if you didn't have to worry about anything, if you knew that you could have the life you wanted in five years, where would you start right now? Right. And you don't necessarily have to have the answer right now, but we want to, we want to kind of walk you through the things and, you know, Al and I both started multiple businesses before and we understand kind of what, you know, the process is pretty similar along the way. Mm -hmm. um, but you just need to train yourself and prepare yourself to have the right perspective on things and to have the right people like us, as well as other people as well, to guide you through kind of what to think about, how to think about it, make sure that you're avoiding the landmines you need to avoid and understand the opportunities that are laying dead in front of you. There's never been a time where there's been so many other, so much of the country not focused on the future and not having an optimistic approach to things where if you come in right now, you're going to have less competition. You're going to have more opportunities to solve people's problems and to really take, take the life that you have and not have it be dictated either by a company whose, whose finance board is deciding that you're a variable, you're a variable cost and that they need to shed you so that they can save a nickel here or there. Mm -hmm. Or at the same time, you have a government that says, well, we're going to sit here and unilaterally shut you down, this business mm -hmm. down, and you don't have a choice in the matter. You're a victim. But right. we, Al and I don't believe in being victims. We believe in being owners. 
And uh, in the next episodes, we definitely uh, advise you to subscribe to this podcast so that when a new episode comes out, and they're, they're usually going to come out weekly, um, that you, you know, you have an opportunity to really reshape your thinking and take advantage of an opportunity that, in mm-hmm. my mind, and I'm sure Al believes the same way. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to come around the same way again. This is just a once in a lifetime opportunity to really just change your life and turn it from wherever it is right now into something that you thought would never, ever happen. Yes. Yes. So I would like people to remember that the greatest freedom in life is the freedom to create your own challenges. And part of what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to think about questions that you never thought about. And sometimes we'll have the answers and sometimes we'll ask you to come up with the answers, but we're gonna ask you questions that you never thought about so that you find out what you don't know that you don't know. And that's our, that's our goal, my goal. I think Matt's too. To some yep, I agree. So with that being said, uh, we're gonna, we'll see you in our next episode and uh... Come ready to learn, come ready to change. We'll see you then. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Halicean Horn podcast. You've just taken the crucial step to finally take control of where your life is going by joining us on the road to entrepreneurship. The path to your new amazing destiny has only just begun. You're already ahead of 99% of the people around you because you're finally taking control of your life and making the choice to claim your new destiny. We'd love to help you in any way we can along your journey. So take a minute to reach out to us. You'll find our contact information in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as the newest episode drops. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Don't wait. Do it now. Can't wait to meet up for our next episode, and we'll see you soon.